you should honor and respect all areas of your life, that gives you the ability to focus on your work and to do a good job and to be productive at work. If you're a leader that practices those things in your personal life, then the next step is, well, how do you integrate it into the culture? Every employee has a past, a present, and a future. And if you understand what their future is that they're aiming for, then you can help them understand how that current job fits into that. And that's only going to retain them more because they realize, oh, I see how this is connected to the things I want in my life and the dreams that I have. I would just love to see well-being to be like the core measurement of success in society. If well-being becomes this core measurement of success, it would really change the world. According to the world's largest study on well-being produced by Gallup, your work is the single biggest influence on your overall quality of life. But success and fulfillment at work needs to be combined with personal well-being in order to have long-term benefits. Danielle Poza is deeply passionate about this subject, and she has made it her life's mission to help individuals and organizations develop comprehensive long-term well-being strategies. Workplace well-being has to be a part of the leadership mindset and then integrated into the organizational culture. Whether you are a leader of a team or an employee on that team, you'll gain extremely valuable insights from this thought-provoking conversation. I'm proud to introduce you all today to the inspiring work of Danielle Poza. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Danielle Poza, and she is a workplace well-being advisor. She sold Cutco for a few years back around 2005 to 2007. She graduated from the University of Maryland with uh, a double major in marketing and international business and started her career at Gallup, the polling organization where she worked as a management consultant. She was actually assigned to the legendary Dr. Deepak Chopra during her time as Gallup as a liaison for Gallup's well-being research. And that ultimately led her into a role working closely with Deepak Chopra. She was the director of enterprise solutions for Chopra Global, where she led the B2B well-being strategy, product development, and execution. 
We're going to hear a lot about the arc of her career during this conversation today. She is now working for herself as a management consultant, teaching people about employee engagement and workplace well-being. Notably as well, Danielle is a cancer survivor, and she's a mom to two small children. She is living in Florida now, spent some time in New York City as well. Danielle Poza, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm very, very excited for this conversation. Thanks yeah. for the intro. Me too. And quick shout out to Jeffrey Paul Bobrick for connecting the <laughs> two of us. Yes. Uh, thank you, Jeff. Yeah. He provided the <laughs> intro here and uh, definitely looking forward to this as well. So Danielle, uh, tell us a little bit about your personal background to start. Sure. I, uh, I'm from New York. I grew up in Westchester. I ha- now have two young kids. I spend most of my time in Palm Beach Gardens. I think, uh, as you mentioned in my bio briefly there, I am also a cancer survivor. I had cancer as a kid when I was five years old, and that definitely will show up as uh, something that relates to my whole story because I think that's that's part of where my interest in well-being really stems from was was that experience. But so yeah, grew up in grew up in New York, went to Maryland for school, as you as you said, and in while I was in school. I was studying business and always took an interest in entrepreneurship. And that was that was kind of ultimately what helped me gravitate towards Cutco and the Cutco experience. So yeah. Cool. How did you hear about Cutco? I actually saw I I, I can remember sitting in my dorm room when I when I saw the ad. I saw the ad like it was called like bigapplehead.com. It was like a big an advertising for New York City. And I saw the ad and I was looking for it because I was Googling sales jobs because at the time I was 19, I had just finished my first semester in college. And up until that point, I'd been like a lifeguard and a babysitter for the most part. And I really wanted to make more money. And I said, well, I have this month off from school. Like either I, if I go be an indoor lifeguard, I'm only going to make like five, 600 bucks, like for the month being able to do that. So I started Googling sales jobs because I always was interested in business and sales appealed to me because I knew that you had to learn a lot about yourself and you had to develop your, you had to develop a good business sense in order to be a good salesperson. So I was Googling sales job and I saw, I saw the ad and I remember it said, you make a minimum of something like 15 or $20 per appointment. So I thought that was a good starting point, but then the sky was the limit. It was kind of like a, what you put in is what you get out. And that appealed to me. So, you know, I, I reached out and, and scheduled an interview. That was cool. And this was with Joe Gianelli, right? Yes, it was. Yep. Joey G. And, and he'll joke too, because he'll say, I, I remember he had told me that he couldn't believe that it was funny that I responded to that ad because he said I was like one of two people who actually responded to the ad and it was like one of his most expensive ads, but it paid off because I went on to sell some cut go. So yeah, you paid for a lifetime of that one ad right there. (laughs) Yeah. So sometimes that's how it works with advertising for us. Uh So you started right after Christmas in what we call our January program. Uh, It was end of December 04. And you said you had one month off school. You wanted to go make as much money as you can, do the best you can. I heard you had an amazing, outstanding first sales month. Tell us about that start to your career. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a month uh, to remember. It's a month that impacted a lot of my life. So when I first started and got the job, we had the, the three days of training. I remember the training was like very interesting to me. I had never had such in-depth 
training, there was a lot of like knowledge and uh, learnings about business and sales in that training. And I remember like just really trying to soak it all up and take a lot of notes. And I went home, you know, after the training and was really practicing. And, you know, then we come out of that training, as you know, and we're encouraged to just like start, have a few demos. And I think I closed on each of those demos and, and had some bigger sales. I think I sold like a homemaker or something within those first couple of demos. And so then when I went back to advanced training, Joe said, you're really off to a great start. Like maybe you should keep the national record in mind. And I thought he was crazy at first for saying something like that, but I was like, I'll just go with the flow. And, and little by little, like it started to look like the national record was actually feasible. So I, I went after it. Nice. So you broke the record for a new rep for the month of January. Is that right? Yeah. So I, yeah, I broke and set the record. So most, so I sold almost, I believe it was like Twenty-seven or twenty-eight thousand dollars worth of knives. Yeah. So I made—I remember I made like eight and a half grand in a month, which, especially as a, as a college student, that that was a a decent amount of money. And it was funny because uh, you know I can remember those last the last few days of the month when it was coming up close to like the deadline to hit the record, and I was getting discouraged. And you know, Joe, he was like just kept pushing me to go do it, and it was a blizzard. And I was driving my like SUV like up a hill to like my last demos, like barely making it. And on those last couple of demos, I sold like had one of my biggest orders that pushed me over the edge. And it was it was such an amazing feeling because I just like remember thinking I was gonna quit. I didn't think I was gonna make it. I only had a few demos left, a few days left, and I did it. So it was like it was it felt really good to actually uh, set that goal and then and then hit it. Nice. And so you went on to become an assistant manager with Joe. I believe you were a pilot manager the following summer as well. What mm -hmm. were some of the most memorable experiences or lessons of your, your entire time with Vector? Oh, man. Well, there was definitely a lot. So there's the lessons that I learned on the sales side. And then there's lessons that I learned as a manager. I mean, I'll say like as a manager, I couldn't believe how much, how much we were kind of thrown into things in a good way. I just love learning the ins and outs of the, of running a whole business. Like I, I love learning the the advertising, what it takes to interview people, what it takes to train them. I think one of my favorite things was like running the sales meetings and like having to figure out what kind of motivational talk we were gonna we were gonna give. And so that was probably one of my favorite parts of it. I think though, like probably one of the most memorable experiences was tied to that sales experience that I had because the amount of work I had to do that month and understanding exactly how many demos I needed to have in order to like knowing the math of like how many demos I needed to have in order to close X amount of those in order to hit a certain number of sales like that, that whole process of being super focused on that goal and following the system that Joe helped me a lot with of making sure that I just hit a certain amount of demos and just like really use the numbers to help me get to that goal was something that was, was I think probably stuck with me, stuck with me the most. But then I'd also say just understanding the elements of a sale, because as you know, it's the, the elements of the sale that we were taught in the context of selling knives, which seems like a very, it's a very simple product, but the elements of a sale you apply to 
you apply to everything, you know, you can apply to anything that you're selling, including what I do now. And so I, I distinctly remember learning how, you know, to create a problem and then position a solution and things like, you know, really knowing your clothes and being super clear and confident when you're closing and properly dropping down or selling up. And those things are, I've applied those principles. I, I mean, I don't think I've ever gotten sales training ever in my life like I did did with Vector. So I've taken that with me really until now. That's great to hear. I do feel like the sales process with Cutco has been so honed over so many years. And yeah. most people don't realize how great it really is until they get into selling other things. And then it's you're so using true. every single thing that was taught here. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have like a huge it. folder of like, I just saved so many handouts and, and brochure. And it's true because you're so young. You've never, you've never worked for another company at that point where you, you can appreciate it. But as you get older and you realize like that training is lacking in a lot of, in a lot of places. So. Yeah. And for anyone that's listening, that's a Cutco rep, I think it's so important to become great at selling Cutco. And that when you are great at selling Cutco, you will find that you have an amazing level of influence and ability to impact others and, and sell either products or ideas down the road in anything that you do. So yep. it's, uh, it's important it's very, to really take advantage of the opportunity here while yep. you're at it. Very true. Yeah. So share with us a little bit about how your career evolved after you graduated from Maryland. Sure. So I think Cutco definitely made me take it. I always had an interest in entrepreneurship, but I think that it had only heighten my interest in, in having my own business. I was actually planning to graduate and just kind of start my own thing. I was working on some entrepreneurial things while in college, aside from Cutco. But there was one company that I decided to interview for, and that was Gallup. Part of my interest in Gallup was that they had a really great mission. So Gallup, most people know Gallup as being like the survey company, but they don't realize that a major part of what Gallup does is management consulting. And basically the fundamental belief of Gallup services is to is that people are a company's greatest asset. And that if you understand people and you understand how to motivate them and, and help them love their work, that is what expands businesses. And I just love that concept. I also love that Gallup had all this research on human behavior and people all over the world. And I had always taken such an interest in that. That was part of what had me gravitate towards Vector and Cutco too, was like I, the idea of sales and working with people and learning about people had always appealed so much to me. So I interviewed for Gallup. Like I said, it was the only company I interviewed for. I also saw Deepak Chopra was a senior scientist at Gallup. And I thought that was amazing that it was a company associated with people like him. So I, I got the job and I, I worked there for about four years. While I was there, I was exposed to Gallup's research on well-being. And that is kind of what had me then, like eventually, I, then I left Gallup and started to focus more exclusively on the topic of, of well-being. Nice. So it started with Gallup right out of, uh, out of University of Maryland. And mm -hmm. it was while you were at Gallup that you were assigned to work with Deepak Chopra at some point? Yeah. Yeah, they had so within two years. So Gallup does a whole host of things like from employee engagement, customer engagement, leadership development, management training, things like that. But while I was there, they published a book called Wellbeing the Five Essential Elements. And it was like the first global study 
on well-being that had really ever been conducted. They basically investigated into a question, and the question was, what is it that makes life work worthwhile? And they were basically trying to figure out the answer to that question in like over 150 countries around the world. And when that research was published, I was thought it was fascinating because I felt that if you can measure well-being, which is what they had started to do, and if companies would measure well-being, and if we would start measuring well-being as a society, that could really change the world because having the right measurements for success is can change everything. So I was so passionate about that research. And because Deepak was a senior scientist of Gallup, they wanted to figure out how do we how do we engage Deepak more in what Gallup does and make sure that he is aware of this research so that then he could actually like use it in his speaking engagements and stuff like that. So they knew that I was super passionate about well-being. And then they took me to lunch with him and said, Danielle will be your, your liaison for this information. She loves it. She's, she's super passionate about it. And anytime you need anything on the topic, just reach, reach out to her. And that's kind of, that's where it all began with him. So. Oh. Amazing. I'm familiar with this research that was done in like 155 countries around the world. Oh, really? Whole subject. And uh, yeah, in fact, I've quoted it a number of times where the end result was that the number one factor in personal happiness was something along the lines of meaningful work that was done in the company of people that we like and admire and feel good around. And it just brings up the question of like, how do you define meaningful work? And, you know, and I've explored that uh, within the context of uh, Vector Cutco and with some of my peers and... and yeah, you know, that, that it's important and that's topic. actually a good point. Like you guys could probably use the research in that sense for advocating for Cutco because it's so true. Like, so the research shows that there's five elements of well-being and it's work related. Well, so they would say it as career well-being, social well-being, physical well-being, financial, actually financial, then physical well-being, and then community well-being. And how those are defined is what's really important actually. But the way I just listed them, that's actually in order of importance. And people tend to think that relationships might come up at like first as being the biggest driver to your overall well-being and quality of life. And actually work is first and relationships is a close second. But to your point, the reason why work is, is because our work, first of all, takes up the most of our time, especially nowadays. But second of all, it's a, it's a major part of our identity. It's a major part of who we are. And so if you don't like what you do and you, it's not meaningful for you, it can be soul sucking. It can create stress in your life, which then bleeds into your family life and all of that. So Having meaningful work is a, it's literally the major contributor to the overall quality of, of your life. So that's part of why I was so fascinated with the subject. Yeah, really fascinating for sure. I'd like to hear just any more of the transformative experiences along the way in your career. Sure. So I think like a big thing for me, because like what I do now, I really do truly like love my work. I can honestly say, I don't think I've ever worked like a day where I wasn't excited about what I was doing. I mean, starting from like the Cutco days until now. And I think a big part of that, I owe to a lot of the self-development work that I did, which I actually found out about because of Cutco. So Joe had introduced me to Landmark Education, which is best you call it kind of life education and self-development. 
And I did a, a lot of different courses there because I, I really just love that stuff. I love learning about myself and people and it's kind of philosophical in nature. So I did, I mean, you've done a lot, have you, you've done a lot of For, I've done the stuff. forum and advanced course. Okay. So I did like those, I did a leader, I would did the introduction leaders program. I coached that program. I head coached that program. I did wisdom. I actually did a leadership course with Werner Earhart in Bermuda, which was like this intensive six day. And the majority of that I did actually before I graduated college. And I say that because, especially because I'm sure you have a lot of like younger people listening. It really helped me like figure out what was important to me and in my life, like from a work standpoint, I really was, I was kind of obsessive about figuring out what my purpose was and what I wanted my work to be. I knew I was like a passionate person and I I just, I wanted to do something that it was going to make a difference and that I could really like sink my teeth into. And that work helped me peel back the layers and figure out what really called to me. So I would say that just that type of work with Landmark and uh, those self-development courses was one. You know, I would say another major experience was definitely working with Deepak. After my time at Gallup, he became a combination of a friend, a mentor, a business partner. We ran some seminars and stuff together, but we we had several lunches over the years where he was actually just somebody I could talk to about like consciousness and contemplate these big questions with. And I'm so grateful for those conversations because I was able to work with somebody who just kind of constantly expanded my thinking and got me more in touch with my soul. Like I think the truest essence of that word, and I've come to realize how important it is to like know my soul versus just like my mind. So working with him, I'd say was the second major thing. And then the third is my travels. I spent a significant amount of time traveling to some crazy places. I spent a month in India. I spent a week in in Haiti, I spent, I mean, I've gone to a lot of places and I would go by myself and that the traveling that I've done, especially alone, gave me a lot of time to really think, have just these points in my life where I could just think and focus and think about who I am and what I want, what I want at the end of my life. And I think travel can make a significant difference in our lives, especially when we do it with a certain kind of intention. And I just learned so much about the people that I would meet in my travels. So I'd say those those three things have been major contributors to like my overall transformation of development as a, as a human. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I could definitely echo the traveling sentiment and would also endorse the, the things that I learned through Landmark Forum yeah. and the courses that I've done there. And gosh, getting to be a personal friend to Deepak Chopra. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow. That is Yeah, so when cool. I was 22, too. I mean, I'm 35 now. I look back on it, I'm like, that's pretty, it's pretty crazy. I mean, because I at the time I didn't really, you know, I I didn't know, I didn't think of him as like a big celebrity then, because I wasn't somebody who like read all of his books. I just knew that he was a awesome like person and thinker and all of that. So I wasn't really starstruck. But looking back, I mean, I know how extremely lucky I am to have had someone like him and 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 him in particular in my life. So yeah. Wow. Well, let's get into a little bit about what you're doing now. Explain what's happening now in your world. Sure. So I I do a combination of 
workplace well-being consulting and coaching for the most part. I mean, over the years, I've done different types of corporate like trainings, manager trainings and things like that. But now, thanks to COVID, <laughs> the world is finally ready for um, workplace well-being. I mean, like I said, this kind of began when I was at Gallup. That was like 10, 12 years ago when this stuff started to first come out. And it took a pandemic for like companies to like really make this a major focus of theirs. So yeah, the, the majority of what I do now, aside from taking care of my three-month-old baby, but I have... Uh, I primarily do workplace well-being consulting, but then I also have a program that I run, a coaching program uh, called the Legacy Builder Program. It's all about like helping people understand their purpose in life and identify a career that matches that purpose so they can build a legacy that they love. And it relates very closely to workplace well-being because a huge part of workplace well-being is helping your employees like love their work. So that coaching program is for individuals, but then I work with various organizations and various like different size organizations on developing their their well-being strategies. So very cool. I read on your website that well-being is not it's not a program. It should be a part of the leadership mindset. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit more about what the difference is? Yeah, that's one of my favorite questions to be asked, <laughs> especially now because everyone's trying to come up with like the next cool kind of workplace well-being program or hack and like and there's, you know, there's like there's yoga programs and meditation programs and there's uh there's there's all these different ways that you can start to address workplace well-being. So my approach though is that first and foremost it really needs to be a mindset that stems from leadership. So meaning First of all, leaders, and I, when I say leaders, I mean like senior level and C-suite leaders need to like actually make their own well-being a priority and be vocal about it. Meaning that like, oh, they're not just secretly exercising when they get home or secretly eating healthy, but that they are doing those things and they're prioritizing their family or they're prioritizing their sleep. And then they're showing their company that they do that so that they're actually creating permission amongst the organization to also make their well-being a priority because either what I've seen and what I've seen with my clients is that either they're not taking care of their well-being, they're burnt out themselves, or they're making work so much of a priority that they are really you know, letting their family life suffer. Or they might be taking care of their well-being, but they're kind of being secretive about it. Like they think that they're supposed to be showing that they're this hardcore executive that works around the clock. And so so workplace well-being has to really start with leadership demonstrating, like really taking it on walking the walk from a well-being standpoint. And then, and then from that, it then branches out into ways that it starts to infiltrate the culture. So if you're a leader that practices those things in your personal life, then kind of the next step is, well, how do you integrate it into the culture, which takes shape in terms of how you design your policies and uh, what kind of trainings you offer to your managers, what kind of development you offer to your leaders, what kind of resources you make available to your employees. But my point is just that it shouldn't start with like a perk or a mini program. It really should be something that is rooted in the leadership and then starts to get embedded into the uh, the fabric of the culture. And that that's real workplace well-being. The other stuff is more checkbox the solutions. Like, you know, we're we're just trying to show we're doing something to move the needle on 
you know, mental health and, and well-being, but it doesn't demonstrate like a real commitment or a, a long-term commitment to this to this subject. So yeah, I love that distinction, Danielle. When I think about the leaders that I most admire, the greatest leaders I know, what I look for is what are the different things that I admire about that person? And it's mm-hmm. not about just achievement or they're good at their job, but it's about they have a great lifestyle. Yeah. They have a great family life. Mm-hmm. They display a high level of integrity. They exemplify healthy living. There's just so many different pieces of what makes somebody a person who you'd want to follow, right? Right, And who you admire that are a part of that package. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely not just one element of what somebody does, but it's the whole picture yeah. of what they do. And if somebody isn't being vocal about all of the different elements of their life and how they're living, mm-hmm. then you don't necessarily get to see all that. So I, I love that example of that as a leader, you're not just trying to show people that you're a hard worker mm-hmm. and that you're a, a success machine and a producer, but that you also have this other side of, of your life that's at least equally, if not more important, that is also thriving yeah. and, um, and you know, kind of showing both those sides of the coin. Yeah. It's like really showing people that you're not just the CEO of of your company, but you're the CEO of your life, like that you kind of, you're able to handle all aspects of your life. And that's something that's such an admirable thing to, for all of us to strive for is like really feeling empowered in all aspects of our life. Like we have it all under control and not just that, oh, we're focused on well-being while the rest of our life falls apart. I mean, that that is what's causing so many of the mental health issues now and the burnout that people are experiencing in, in work because it's the, the rest of their lives, they feel like they don't have this, the kind of control over that they want. And it's a very kind of, de- it, could, it could be a very debilitating feeling. So yeah, so you totally get it. Yeah. For sure. You also talked, Danielle, about shifting from, quote, work-life balance to, quote, life-work balance. Yeah. Could you unpack that distinction for us? Yeah, it's very related to to what we were just saying, but uh, I wrote an article called that actually on Chopra.com called Shifting from Work-Life Balance to Life-Work Balance. So the, the whole idea of it is just that it's like we're always talking about work-life balance. It's like we're, we're trying to figure out how do we get life back into the equation. Right? Like It's like, we're actually really not trying to figure out how to balance work life. Like most people are really just trying to, like I just said, like get life back, like back in there. And so the philosophy behind it is that it actually needs to start with a mental shift of start to prioritize your life and figure out how work fits into that. Now work should definitely be a major part of your life. You should love what you do. I'm not necessarily saying that work should take a back seat, but more so that you should honor and respect all areas of your life and realize that your time with your kids gives you the energy that you need to go to work. Or if you don't have kids, maybe it's like that exercise routine and that you being able to sleep well and eat healthy that gives you the ability to focus on your work and to do a good job and be to be productive at work. So all areas of your life deserve respect. And then the other part about that is the implication for employers, not just for the employee. So employers and companies 
they have to develop this mindset too, that like, you don't just have workers, you don't just have people who are meant to pump out just to be productive for your company and just pump out work. Like these are human beings with lives that are struggling and that every organization should be like thinking not, well, how do we get our workers more work-life balance? They should be thinking, well, first take an interest in their whole life and understand that they have a whole life and that they shouldn't be expected to be answering emails past work hours. And they should be encouraged to sign off and make time for dinner with their families. So the idea is just to just flip the equation and say, let's just aim for life-work balance where all aspects of life is given the attention that it deserves rather than it starting with work and you having to fit in like how to squeeze in the other aspects of, of your life. Yeah, I love that. That makes just, sense. Just mm-hmm. starting with, life as the priority and kind of building work into that and and learning how to integrate the two if you're a leader yeah um, by taking an interest in your people's well-being outside of just the workplace mm-hmm. I, I was reminded as you were speaking about a, a quote from my favorite author speaker business philosopher which is a guy named Jim Rohn and he says uh help people with their lives not just their jobs yes that's what a great leader does yep. and I've always thought of that and made that a part of of what I do in Vector with the people that I've worked with is that we will always have time for conversations that are not about selling Cutco, that are not mm-hmm. about managing teams, but that are about anything related to personal, whether it's personal finance or, or health and fitness or goal set, personal goal setting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what are the dreams people have? travel aspirations, anything along those lines, like those conversations have always been a part of what I've done as a leader that I feel like are an important part of integrating life success, life balance with doing well at your work also. And it just shows people that they mean more to you than just what their production is uh, on the job. Yeah. Well, and knowing what the thoughts are in terms of how that current career and job fits into their bigger goals, right? Like understanding, do they, you know, some people might have an idea of like where they see the Cutco experience helping them in the future. They might have an idea of like, they might say, oh, well, well, I do want to be, I want to be the CEO of my own company one day. And that's why I do this. Or maybe just the aspect of building relationships that might help them get a job in, I don't know, whatever would relate to like just relationship building. But the point is that it's like, for organizations to realize that every employee has a past, a present and a future. And if you understand what their future is that they're aiming for, then you can help them understand how that current job fits into that. And that's only going to retain them more because they realize like, oh, I see how this is connected to the things I want in my life and the dreams that I have. I think the mistake that a lot of organizations make is just kind of like keeping it focused on the now and not helping employees really see the connection to how it is going to advance the things that they want in their life. Indeed. I thought about JPB as you were as you were sharing some of those last thoughts that for him, Cutco has been the vehicle for him to pursue all of yeah, his dreams, right? Like totally. he, he's not a 20-year Cutco person just because Cutco is so great. It facilitated him being able yeah. to have the life he wants outside of Cutco. Yeah. And, you know, he's a self-proclaimed part-timer with Cutco that balances multiple things. 
mm-hmm. in his life. Yeah. And, and we support that. Totally. And he's like an interesting case because it's not a typical, like what he does in the music industry and they, like, you wouldn't necessarily make the connection that selling knives is going to be the enabler of that kind of work, but it is. And that's why it's like every person's story and their motivations is so different, but knowing what that motivation is, is so important. I was talking to a client yesterday who said his dream for his organization, because he's an executive. And he said, you know, I really want our organization to be the enabler of people's lives. And I love that because then the emphasis is on the impact that you're having on the employee. And it's saying that, hey, our company is actually a vehicle for them. And then when your company is a vehicle for the employee, the company is only going to benefit because the employees feel so taken care of. So it's, it has this reciprocal effect. And so I just love that idea of, of companies being enablers for people's lives. I thought that was like such a great way to, to say it. Excellent. Such good insight. I'd like to hear, Danielle, about your process for working with clients and helping them establish a well-being strategy. Can you get into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. So first of all, like the clients I work with really do have to be the type that are committed to this work and are really thinking about it on a long term. So I usually work with more senior level leaders who have an interest in in taking care of their employees long term and really want to make well-being a part of the culture. So my process usually it's kind of like these four core steps. Like the first is I work with them to first build a case internally for a well-being strategy. So I work with them to actually build kind of a business case around why well-being is important, why they need to have a budget for this over the course of many years, why it shouldn't just be like $30,000 for a basic program, but that it really needs to be a significant budget that you have year over year. So the first step is really building a case amongst the senior level leaders so that then they kind of open up the doors to do more after that. So then the second step that I usually do is I conduct a series of interviews. I try to get a sense of what the current state of well-being of the organization is. So I I talk to employees at every level to understand what are they dealing with that's specific to the culture and the organization that they're in, what, what are their challenges, what are the strengths of the organization. And that qualitative process is really, really important to just understanding organization. And then the third is to launch some survey measurement that's going to actually put more of a, a, a score on the current state of well-being and engagement within the organization because they really have to commit to measuring it a certain way. And so that helps put a stake in the ground to say, hey, you know, we know what our well-being is now. We want to improve that over time. So measurement is kind of the third, the third part of it. And I usually help them with selecting that the appropriate vendor. Gallup is that vendor sometimes. And then the fourth major part of the process is the training and education around well-being and engagement. And that that kind of training has to exist, you know, has to take place at the leadership, the manager, and the employee level. So I'll do sessions where I teach, you know, what well-being actually is and what engagement is, how do you actually manage in a way that incorporates, how do you actually have well-being part of the way that you manage as a manager. So the training and education is is kind of the last major part of the beginning of a well-being strategy. But those are kind of like the four major components to my process typically. 
Nice. And what that does is just kind of sets up the it sets up the organization for like having more of a foundation of well-being, which then turns into a lot of different initiatives over time. Excellent. So you begin with building the case for why it's so important. Yeah. It's just such a smart thought. To some people, this might have seemed like an obvious point. I don't think it was so obvious, but it's just so smart that like you're helping them start with why, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you're also in this process, of course, you're you're creating the need for you to stick with them for a long time. Right? <laughs> yes. Process. Yep. That's, right? a, that's a secret. I love, in it. The... I love it. Usually there's a champion, right? There's a champion executive that like gets it. It's not always the CEO and often it's not the CEO. So they tend to really, they'll gravitate towards these concepts, but they need to then pitch it internally to their CEO and the rest of their team. And they just like need help doing that. They don't necessarily know a lot about well-being or well-being strategy. They just know that they care about it and they know they're committed to it. So then I help them like develop like kind of that presentation and that pitch so they could do that internally. So then we could take it to the next phase. Yeah. I love the idea of finding a champion in the organization that can yeah. be the, the uh, sort of the linchpin to help put, yeah. put, put it all in there to get the whole thing together. So you're, you're building the case, you're analyzing what are the strengths, what's going well mm-hmm. in the organization. I love the sort of strengths-based beginning to this process. You're finding the a way of measuring the impact. You're helping them decide what's going to be a way of measuring the impact so that you can quantify whether it's working. And mm-hmm. then after all that, you get into the training and the education of the entire organization on how to implement. Uh, yeah. So I could simplify it. Since I know it probably sounded complicated. It's basically build the case. I do. A, it's a qualitative analysis. The qualitative analysis is the interviews with people all across the organization, then a quantitative analysis because we deploy the survey to understand exactly like what the heat map of well-being is in the organization. And then follow that by training because you want to unify people's understanding around what is well-being, what causes it, what takes away from it. And then what does that mean for the employee, right? How does the employee actually influence their own well-being? But then what's the manager's role? in impacting well-being and then leadership and executive leadership they have their own particular role that they play so that training and education exists and it takes a different shape for each one of those groups yeah excellent i love the process that you follow seems like thank you you're doing great work and uh, <laughs> it's just it's really cool to hear yeah i, yeah. Th- I think so i hope so i yeah. just want like more to... of it in the world well on that note Danielle, of getting more of this into the world. I'd love to wrap this up by asking you about your vision for the future of work and along the lines of the changing lives theme of this podcast. Yeah. What what would you want workplaces to be in the next 10 years or more through the influence that you're exerting upon them? Yeah, well, that's that's quite the question. I mean, I think I would actually go beyond workplaces if I really think about kind of my real vision for this stuff. I would just love to see well-being to be like the core measurement of success in society. Like when I say in society, I mean like that. We see more like country happiness reports and things like that that are coming out now. But I really want to see where it is. We truly are looking to see what is the well-being of every nation and that that is more important than looking at GDP. I mean, it's it's not to say that GDP becomes irrelevant or is unimportant, but it shouldn't be the metric that we're aiming for. I mean, at the end of the day, 
we all just want to have good lives. And so that should be what we're constantly aiming for as organizations and as countries, as cities. And now that is becoming a reality, like being able to measure well-being properly. People didn't know how to do that in the past. And now there's been so much development of surveys, of the science around this, that it is quite literally possible. So I think if well-being becomes this core measurement of success, it would really change the world. And so for workplaces too, I think my dream is that they commit to measuring it first and foremost, because then that will give them the, it will create an accountability for them to follow through on that. And so to measure it and and to have leaders then follow through on that measurement by like by developing themselves and their own expertise on well-being. I think that shift in leadership and a shift in the way that we measure workplaces and society is what kind of moves the needle really fast in terms of the evolution of humanity. So fantastic. How can people follow you or support your mission, Danielle? Um, well, they can visit my website. Um, I have uh, I have a couple websites right now. We're actually going to launch uh, a new one probably next year. But I have well, there's a wellbeinghacker.com. My website's daniellepoza.com. Through those, you'll also find some of the the articles that I mentioned, like from shifting life work balance to work life balance. So I have a, several blogs on these topics that I've written. But I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I'm not a big social media person, but. Uh, probably the best way is, is just going to the website and it's signing up for like an email list. And then um, I could always kind of be in touch that way. Sounds great. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Danielle. This has been very cool. A lot of great insights. I just love the mission that you have, the whole idea of making well-being the core measurement of success. It's just in the end, it's so much more important than somebody's net worth or you know how big of an organization they built. I mean, it's like, this is what matters the most right. in life. And I think as people begin to realize that and prioritize that, they can make it a focus and they can make sure that, uh, that their life is, is truly designed in a manner that is going to support that goal. And you're in a really important space and you're doing great work. So oh, thanks. Is there anything else I could say? Any way I can kind of help you and the cause for cut going advocating for you guys any anything else you'd like me to share because i i am a, a huge definitely a huge fan like i said at the beginning i, I don't think i've given cut going vector enough credit over the years for how much it really just like launched my career so anything yeah. else i can share well we appreciate we appreciate when our alumni have cutco vector as a part of their personal story and that that gets shared as you're sharing your success journey with others and you mentioned that Cutco was a part of it in those early days as a college yeah. student, that's great. It's great for the company to have that work. Well, and I will just a special there. shout out for Joe because it's like I say Cutco and Vector, but he was really the one that, and I remember he said to me, like, if you break this record, you will always be able to put that on your resume, in your bio, and that will always stand out to people that you did that. And that really stuck with me. And that's, that's totally, you know, that's totally the case because that became this one bullet point, right? Like in my bio that always makes people wonder what that means. And it's not, so the power that one person and a manager can have to change your life. He really did. He really uh, had made a big impact, positive impact in my life. So definitely right. want to shout out to him specifically. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for sharing that, Danielle. And thank you for being an awesome guest on the podcast. No, oh, thanks so much for having me. I hope this is helpful. For sure. What a great conversation that was. Danielle Poza, I hope you really enjoyed that. I love how when she got to Gallup, one of the things that Gallup had determined was that people are a company's greatest asset. That was a key principle that she learned there. And therefore, a company should be a vehicle for its employees to be able to live the life that they want. And that all employees have a past, present, and future, as she said. And as leaders, we need to take an interest not just in what people are producing for the company now, but in the future vision that they have for themselves and for their lives. I really love the distinction that leaders need to make workplace well-being a part of their mindset and a priority for themselves and be vocal about it because that's how we set the ultimate example for the people who are around us. Making workplace well-being a core measurement of success was one of the last things that Danielle talked about. And that to me really resonates. I feel like if you were to ask somebody who's 80 years old to look back on their life, not many of them are going to wish that they worked longer hours or that they necessarily made more income in their life, but they're going to look back instead on the experiences and the memories that are most powerful. Some of those will be work-related. Many of those will be work-related. People are going to want to have left a legacy through their work for sure, but they're also going to want to have had the kind of lifestyle that supports a feeling of well-being that is consistent with the vision that they you know, have had for their life. And uh, it's all part of the package that I think is so important for people. Danielle also talked about maximizing her Cutco experience. And for any of you who are listening who are Cutco reps, thinking about what credentials you can build while you are here, making the most of this experience while you are here, and really mastering the uh, process of sales and influence while you're here, because it will have a powerful impact on the rest of your life. That was a great reminder as well. Hope you enjoyed this one, everybody. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 